Welcome to the Coaching DNA Podcast. I am your host, Travis Wyckoff. I am also the founder of Kingdom Coaching, my consulting business. I really talk about um, what I do for clients with Kingdom Coaching. So I thought I might give just a, a little insight uh, before we dive into the podcast today. I believe that understanding who we are, or another way to phrase it, understanding our true identity and, and being able to understand the root of what actually goes on inside of us is the only way to actually unlock your full potential or to unlock your genius. And so as we work the soil of your internal self, we're also diving into how elite leaders build an environment in their programs that allow people to thrive and flourish. In short, I help people be their very best working from the inside out. So enough about that. My guest this week is Zach Sorensen. Zach is the mental performance coach with the Atlanta Braves organization. Zach is a stud, someone I've known for 25 plus years as we were teammates at Wichita State in 1996. Um, Zach is really, really good at what he does. During this conversation, Zach and I talk three things leaders must do when starting to work with an athlete. The number one tool Zach thinks to help athletes perform at a high level, good, better, best, and controlling what you control and much, much more. You will love this episode. It'll help you be a better leader. So without further ado, part one of my conversation with Zach Sorensen. Zach, dude, thanks so much. I know you're busy. Um, got a game to get to tonight. I think you're at uh, in Georgia at the uh, at your A Ball affiliate there with the Braves. So seriously, thanks for taking time. Why don't you walk us through your journey from high school to present day? Awesome. First of all, hey Travis, it's awesome to get reconnected with you. Man, miss our days back in the days, and uh, so this is super exciting for me because you know I, I looked up to you, I leaned on you, you taught me a ton. So so thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, my journey a little bit. I grew up in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. I went to Highland High School. And for me, you know, the dream was like everybody was to play in the big leagues. And uh, for me, I, I needed to find a way to make it happen to get there. One day I got a phone call from, you know, Gene Stevenson, Brent Kemet saying, hey, we'd like to take a peek at you. And uh, I ended up out at Wichita State. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't know how to spell Wichita when I got out there, but I knew they were pretty good. I knew they were a pretty good program. And, and so I was tickled to death to get on out there. Uh, so I showed up to Wichita State not knowing what to expect, um, you know, and I think when you get to a program like that, you, you have a lot of concerns and worries. You, you wonder, am I good enough? You know, do I, have a, do I have a chance to be able to compete at this level? And a lot of people I talk to, they always say to me, do you think I had to go to a big powerhouse school and, and go from there? Or should I go to a, a smaller school, you know, stand out? And, and for me, I chose to go to the big boys to go play with Travis Wyckoff, you know, and to see if I could, if, if I could play at that level. What happened to me is I was surrounded by great players, great coaches, great mentors that taught me how to play the game and how to be a professional and how to grow up and be a man in life. And, and so I owe, I owe a lot of where I'm at today to my teammates and my coaches that I had at Wichita State. So that was an awesome experience. So at, at Wichita, I got out there um, as a shortstop. And I remember getting there the first day as you get a feel for who's out there. And I'm like, oh, wow, we got a, we got a junior shortstop sitting right here. We got a senior second baseman. And Oh, we got a high school All-American shortstop also that just came in. That's the same grade. And I remember thinking to myself, like, like, how am I going to make this? How am I going to do this? Like, and why am I here? Like, can I hang with these guys? 
And I, ch- I challenged myself mentally for probably the first time. Um, and, mm-hmm. and that question just kept coming up, coming up. And I'm making a big deal about this question because it's what I deal with every day with my players and in professional baseball also. Am I good enough? Um, and instead of just worrying about the too much, I just, I just put my head down and went to work and leaned on other people to help get me through those challenges mentally. So I played three years at Wichita State uh, and was able to earn a starting spot as a freshman. And, and like Travis has talked about, we had a chance to play in the College World Series, unbelievable experience, and just to learn from every one of those moments. Yeah, and put together a pretty good junior year and was able to get drafted by the Cleveland Indians. Uh, they took me in the, in the second round. And uh, was, again, surrounded by unbelievable people. The organization was fabulous. It was focused on, on uh, development as a player. And it, it's where I continue to enjoy the game and increase my love for the game. So my general manager at the time, or my, my assistant GM, head of, head of player development, was Mark Shapiro. Mark played a huge role in what I'm doing now, and I'll get to that later. But uh, played 10 years professional baseball. Uh, I got called up to the big leagues right at five years. So I, I went up with Cleveland right at about five years. I got called up to the big leagues and uh, spent most of the season in 2003 with the Cleveland Indians team. It was a fun year. It was a challenging year for the organization, kind of a re- regrouping year, redevelopment year. And, and so a lot of younger players, the thing that was awesome was my manager in the big leagues was Eric Wedge. And Eric Wedge is another shocker. So, you know, we have a connection there. But Eric was my manager in A-ball, double-A, triple-A, and into the big leagues. So a lot of the content that I use, a lot of the structure in my mental performance training come from lessons that I learned from Eric Wedge. And I always make sure I give him plenty of credit because he really helped me through some, some stumbling blocks along the way. I uh, got to the big leagues with Cleveland, didn't play a whole lot. I was the utility guy, which was another challenging thing mentally for me, you know, going from being an everyday player, uh, getting to the big leagues, which is our dream, our goal, and then sitting on the bench, you know, you start to wonder again, do they trust me? Am I good enough? Can I play at this level? Uh, and then, of course, you're playing against the very best in the world. So uh, some challenges, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those as, as we talk about things today. I got traded over to the Angels, uh, spent one year in AAA with the Angels, and then a year in the big leagues in 05 with the Angels, which was an unbelievable experience. It was a playoff year. Uh, we got to the postseason, beat the Yankees in the playoffs, which is always uh, always fun to experience, and then uh, got knocked out by the White Sox. But again, I had a veteran team that year, so a whole new series of learning moments being around guys like Vladimir Guerrero, you know, not junior, but dad, and uh, Darren Erstad, who taught me a ton of things about the mental game and the game in general, and just another great experience with Joe Madden, with Mike Socia, some of those guys along the way. After that, I got claimed off waivers by Milwaukee and then spent one of the last year as I signed with the Marlins um, and then decided to, to be done playing the game. So now one thing about the game is, is uh, when, you, when, when, you get, when, when you play this game for such a long time, it, it doesn't just leave the system. Like we love the game. And, and yes, we love the game. It, we live for it. We you know, grew up just, just everything was the game for us. But even more than that is, we love the associations. We love the connections. We love the players. And on this side of things now as a coach, all we want is for our players to be able to experience some of the joy that we did as a player. Um, and that's what drove me back to the game. And I remember I, I went to a spring training game. And again, Mark Shapiro uh, was, was at the game. In fact, he got us some tickets. But what was even more impressive to me was during the game, as he's the, he's the general manager, president. He actually was the president of the Cleveland Indies at the time. He came down and sat next to me during the game and gave me about an hour of his time. And he just asked me, like, like what's, what's next for you? Like, how are we going to get you back into the game? He's like, do you want to coach? Do you want to manage? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. You know, 
And he's like, he gave me some amazing advice. And he says, I want you to listen to yourself talk. And when you hear your, what you say, you'll figure out where your passion is. And so, uh, you know, I, I just soaked that up and I thought about that continually. And I went and did a camp a couple of weeks later and I'm like, man, it's gotta be like defense. I love talking defense. That's it for me. And then we shifted over to hitting and I'm like, Oh, maybe it's hitting. Like, like I could talk hitting all day, you know? And I, I went through that weekend and I learned, I just have a true passion for the game. But then there came a phase where we started talking about the mental game and it was different for me. And, and I think the reason why I became so passionate about the mental game is because I needed more training as a player. I needed more. Like there's unbelievable coaches all over the place that, that can teach you how to be a better hitter and play better defense. And, and I love that, you know, that, that everyone is so good at what they do. But for me as a player coming up through professional baseball, I needed more mental game training. And so I started thinking about that. And I'd go around and I'd ask people, you know, I'd be like, what percentage of this game is mental? In fact, Travis, if I ask you right now, like what percentage of the game of baseball is mental? What answer do you give me? I would have a few questions for you. Are 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 we assuming that the the talent? Like, are we talking? Um, yeah, I'm yeah, assuming yes. there's a level of talent that's present. Absolutely. So let's yeah. let's talk. You know, let's talk powerhouse college baseball, yeah. professional baseball. What's the answer to that question? What percentage of this game is mental? So I I'm going to go high just because of probably my background with Brent Kimnitz and just my own remembering my own career, I'm going to go high. I'm going to go 85. I'm going to go 85, 90%. Totally. hundred percent. And and what's interesting, Travis, is I got around and asked coaches or players all over the place and it's different levels. Like, like they don't even say, well, what level are you talking about? The answer I get most of the time is 90%, mm-hmm. 90% mental. And so I, I take a step back from that and I'm like, okay, next question I ask you is well, what percentage of your day are you training the mental game? No doubt. You know, and the answer to that usually is zero. Like, we don't. And and so that really opened my eyes that day. And I'm like, this is what I want to do. Like, like I want to find a way to dive into the mental game to, and not only just be able to, to talk about the mental game, but to actually give players strategies. And, and my focus is, and this comes from Dr. Ken Revisa, you know, one of the godfathers in sports psychology. I was sitting in his basement one time and he said something to me and it stuck. And I said, He says, I want to be able to give players something to go to when they need something to go to. And that hit me so hard. And so my focus isn't on just talking about the mental game and saying, oh, yeah, you know, performance anxiety. That's probably what you're dealing with. I want to give guys strategies that they can use. And so when something hits them in the middle of, you know, the fifth inning of their 10th start of the season that they haven't dealt with in the past, they're like, "Okay, here it is. Thanks for showing. I know what to do about it. Here we go. Bam. And so my focus has been on strategy. So, you know, right at that moment, as I, as I thought about that, I went, to, I went back and I got my master's in sports psychology. Um, I did a certification with Brian Kane, who Brian Kane has been very instrumental in, in my mental game training. And he, he has the same vision I do when it comes to strategy, not just talking about it. And, you know, right as that started happening with me, um, my phone started ringing a little bit. So, I, you know, I, I got a call from the Angels general manager. They flew me out there. They talked about it. And then I got hired by the Texas Rangers to be kind of kind of run their minor leagues, their mental performance program in the minor leagues. So, and real quick, I'll speed through this, but I, I spent a year with the, with the Texas Rangers um, working through that. And, and then uh, they wanted me to come on be full-time with them. And I had to, I had to step back. I wasn't quite ready for that. And then in 2020, I got hired by the Braves and I've been with the Atlanta Braves since then. It's been an unbelievable experience. Um, They've, they've kind of let me carry out my vision of what the program looks like. 
And, uh, and so I'm, I'm out here with these guys, you know, chasing them around, trying to give them strategies that they can use to kind of help them get out of their own way. And, and it's been fun because uh, we, we've had some success. We've had a couple of players that have, have gone from, you know, struggling with confidence to, you know, in, in the mix this year to be all-stars at the big league level. So it's, it's, uh, it's been an absolute riot to be able to just feed them with strategies and then to see them run with it. Love it. Okay. Uh, let's, I'm going to ask a question about yourself. Um, other than having a skill set that you've built up and you've, you've grown in this area, how can I help, uh, athletes perform at a higher level? Other than that, what makes you successful in your role? What are the gifts you have? What are the wirings you have? Why can you help people? I think the biggest thing that you have to have in this role as a coach is you have to have awareness, right? Like, like there's so much awareness when I, when I show up to a team and as I try to mentor and take other coaches through this role, we have things that we know are going to help players. Like I guarantee that if someone would sit down and start plugging in all the strategies that I give them, like we're going to see an increase in production on the field, but some of the players aren't ready for it and, and everybody is different. So there's not one way to do yeah. this. And so the biggest thing I have to do is I have to meet them where they are and I have to, I have to have this awareness and know when is time to, to step in and help them. Um, I think, especially when you get into professional baseball, you know, one reason why I love working with the college athletes is because man, they'll do whatever you ask them to do. Like you tell these guys to run through a brick wall, they'll be like, okay. And, yeah. and they'll, they'll attempt it. You get to pro ball and we're talking about their livelihoods and their careers. They're a little more hesitant to just jump on board. However, what I've noticed is the higher up they get in this game, these guys are willing to do whatever it takes. But Travis, there's something I want to make a real big deal about. And, and when I talk about leadership, there's three things I talk about. And I think this is really impressive. I got this from uh, Doug Manzalino, who's one of our, our coaches that's been with us a long time. And I heard him talk about it. I wrote it down. I, I stamped it. I asked him if I could use it. And in fact, uh, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called The Hard 90. Okay. And The Hard 90 is the 90% of the game that we do less than 10% of the time. In the back end of the book, I talked just very briefly about leadership. And, and in that, I talk about what, what Manzo taught me. And he says, there's three things that athletes need from us. Three things. Number one, they need to know that we care about them. Number two, they need to know that they can trust us. And then number three, they need to know that we're going to help them to get better. And when I go into a new team or I go to a new player that might be needing some help, my goal is to establish those three things as quick as I can. And if I can get them to know that I care about them, that they can trust me and I'm going to make them better, they will do anything and everything that I throw at them. They'll try it. Yeah. And, really good. and, and, and so I think that if you could bear down on those three things and, and with that comes awareness, right? Like you can't just walk in and be like, Hey, you can trust me. And if you do what I say, you're going to be in the big leagues. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yep. But if you can establish those three things with these players quickly, then, then you're going to, you're going to go places with them and, and they're going to, they're going to bend over backwards for you, which means that they're going to attempt to, use some of the strategies that you throw at them. Yeah. And, and I'll throw this out. I'm curious how this lands on you. Just knowing the, the way I do, um, I'm guessing there's a, there's a, you you care for me, trust me, help them, but sprinkled in there probably has to be a higher level. And this ties into the awareness side of emotional intelligence to be able to, to, I think you said, use the word awareness. When I think of you working with an athlete, having the emotional intelligence to read their vibe, to read their body language, to get a sense, do I push? Do I pull back? Do I, you know, yeah. How's that land on you? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and Travis, I think I have just, a, I have a little bit of an advantage over some of the other mental performance coaches out there because I played the game, sure. you know, and, 
and I played the game uh, at, at the highest level. And so when I walk into a clubhouse, I think that they are more open to listening to me. Uh, you know, funny story, again, Mark Shapiro, when he was saying, when I finally went back to him and I said, okay, I listened to myself talk. And here's what I realized. I want to teach the mental game. And he's like, wow, that, that, that's awesome. And he goes, that's awesome because you have a different perspective. And he's like, what you're going to be teaching isn't just what's out of a textbook. It's like, like you've been through it. And then he says to me, he goes, you've been over 30 before. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It wasn't over 30. Okay. Come on, get off my back. Maybe over 20. But, <laughs> right. uh, but the point is, 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 you know, when you go through the struggle, when you go through those things and, and I'll be honest with you, what drives me, what motivates me is I need, like I mentioned before is I needed more. Like I was the guy that was out there. And I think even in the book, I wrote like the opening chapter, the introduction, I talk about how, you know, how many, how many balls have I thrown across the infield between innings, you know, thousands, tens of thousands. And there was that one time, Travis, where it's in between innings and I'm seven years into professional career and it's, you know, literally day at the ballpark. And I let one fly over my first baseman's head and just miss hitting the kid in the stands. Well, what happens on the next throw? Well, I, I throw it in the ground, Yep. you know, and, and then all of a sudden it's like, don't hit me the ball, you know? And so you go through an experience like that and it drives you to figure out, okay, I don't want anyone else that I work with to have to go through what I do. Totally. And it pushes you to do that. So I do have a little bit of an advantage there, but, but I, I, yeah, going back to this awareness piece, this emotional intelligence, there's so much to that. You know, mm-hmm. I think sometimes we get, we get done with our schooling we have this masters or whatever we call it. Right. And you walk in there and you think that you're going to fix everybody this weekend. And the reality of the situation is, is, is is you need to know when to, to step in, when to listen, you know, and when to do those things. Another scenario too, I do this when I, when I parent right now. So I've got four awesome kids and, and they'll come to talk to me about a huge issue, right. That's going on in their, in their teenage life. And oftentimes I'll ask him a question. I said, okay, like, are, are you seeking advice from me? Mm-hmm. Do you want me to tell you how to do it? Or do you want me just to listen? Yeah. And most of the time they come back to me like that. I just need you to listen right now. You know? And even though that, even though that's hard for us, because I guarantee I've got the answers, right? Uh, at least we think we do. Um, really there's good. a time, there's a time and a place for you to be able to say, okay, all right, now let's go do something about it. Yeah. You talk about Mark Shapiro on multiple occasions. Um, obviously my, my, the general thrust of my podcast is I want to figure out what great leaders are doing. What, what separates the good from the great. What, uh, talk about Mark Shapiro as a leader. Give me some, give us some insight into to how he's wired. What has allowed him to be so successful? Yeah. So here you have a gentleman who, as I got to know Mark, he was my, you know, head of player development. So he was running the minor leagues for the Cleveland Indians. Then he became the general manager for the big league team. Then he became the president of the Cleveland Indians. And now he's the president of the Toronto Blue Jays. So, so this is the guy, right? Like he's, he's, he's the man. And, um, I think if I were to, t- you know, as I bring up his name and other people know Mark, everyone nods their head as soon as I say Mark Shapiro, you know, and I think if I could say one thing that stands out about him is he genuinely cares about you and, um, as a person. Mm-hmm. And, and I think at times that's hard in a leadership role because you always have this bigger picture, right? You, you always have this bigger vision of what has to happen. And in the professional sports world, it's not just about this bigger vision. It's about winning. Like, like you, you win or we'll go find somebody else. Mm. And so for him to be able to get down on, on my level with me and to, to honestly really care about me, um, as a, as a person, you know, if I were to call Mark and I haven't talked to him in, you know, in a handful of years, but if I were to call Mark right now, he'd pick up the phone or he would text me back 
and he would ask me how my family's doing and call them by name. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is so impressive and so important. You know, I, I, I got a message, you know, and you'll get a kick out of this, Travis. I, I got a random, I don't even know what they're called, DM. I guess it's called a DM, okay, by, by some random individual the other day that says, hey, I just want to reach out to you. But you know that I came to a, a baseball camp at Wichita State when you were playing there. And I remember you and Kevin Hooper, okay, so we'll talk about Hoop because I'm reconnected with Hoop now. But uh, you and Kevin Hooper were out there at the camp. And he's like, I want you to know I remember thing about what you taught me about playing defense, but I do remember how you made me feel. And, uh, and he goes, you know, after all these years, I just want to make sure you, you know that. So that hits me really hard, you know, that, that, uh, that's the influence we can have on people. I think we spend so much time focusing on strategy and technique. Um, and at the end of the day, some of the players that we deal with every single day, they're needing something more than just strategy and technique. And, and the way that you make them feel goes a long way, way past their baseball career. Yeah, dude, that's really good. Thanks for sharing that. I, uh, the director of minor leagues when I was with the Marlins was a guy named John Bowles. And he was about this short dude, um, had this, these facial mannerisms that kind of freak you out a little bit, was really intense. Just by his title, there was a, a, an aura when he walked into a room. But that dude cared, man. There was a connection. He was really present with you. And there was just a level of like respect that you, you that you wanted to give him because of just the way he treated people. And um, it sounds like Shapiro in a lot of ways is, is that it's amazing to your point. It's amazing when you'll connect with people, actually care for people, take time for people. And I would just say be present with people, learn their family's name, like actually remember those things. It, it goes so far. It goes so far. Like, I think you can jump people by just being a good person. Take, I'm not even, ta- we haven't even talked about skill set or leadership ability or vision or all that stuff. We've just talked being a good person. And I think it can jump people just by being a good dude. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, this kind of goes hand in hand with, with some of the strategies that I teach with mental performance as well. Like, and I'll walk you through this and then I'll make sure I get back to this because I think this is an important key. You know, us as coaches, we spend so much time in trying to be, have the latest and greatest when it comes to technique and, and mechanics and this and that. But sometimes we do miss this piece of, of connection and, and leadership development and culture, you know, these different types of scenarios that I know that you hit hard on right there. But going to a specific with a player, you know, what we're all, we're all chasing results. You know, we're all chasing, you know, baseball is such a crazy game as well as other sports, but you know, it, it's crazy because, you know, you pull, you can jump on right now and you can find out what my batting average was back when I played at any year that I wanted to, you go out and play, you know, like my guys are getting ready to go out and play here tonight up on the scoreboard. It flashes their results. It flashes their batting average, their numbers, this and that. What's crazy is we can't really control those. And so that's one reason why we get in a hiccup when it comes to performance. But my point is, is this is when we don't get the results we want, and I kind of draw this pyramid for people. When we don't get the results we want, we have to change the results. Okay. So the very first thing we oftentimes do is we start changing the mechanics of what we do. So we change the swing, we change the pitching mechanics because that's going to get us new results. And, and of course, I'm not against that. I agree with that. That's important. But so we'll go make some adjustments to our swing and guess what? I'll go out and I'll still go over four tonight. Right. Yeah. Um, after we kind of get down to the next level, we start talking about maybe focus. You know, uh, maybe your focus needs to be better. So we start working on that. And after that, maybe it's down to emotions. We're just getting deeper and deeper trying to help this player. Well, at the bottom of this triangle or the bottom of the pyramid is this belief system. 
and, and, and Travis, you know, you can have the very best hitting coach in all of baseball and your swing can be so dialed in. It's ridiculous. Uh, but if you don't think you can, and you don't believe you can, it's not going to happen. Yep. And, and so I think we spent a ton of time at the top of this triangle, the top of the pyramid, focusing on mechanics and, and, and techniques and, and drills and this and that. But if what our players are struggling with very most often is that question, am I good enough? Yep. So um, interesting story. And I'll jump to this because I think this is important. You know, I, I just heard someone speak about the concept of good, better, best. OK, you probably thought about that concept before of good, better, best. And, and it's interesting. Um, I love that topic. And so my general knowledge at the time was and, and I'll ask you these questions, Travis, if. If, if you're if you're a good player right now and you're playing good baseball, my job as a coach is to help you to become better. Better, yeah. And once you get better, then I'm going to push you to what? Be the best. To be the best. And I think we all agree with that. So uh, the very first topic I teach all of my guys, no matter who it is that I work with, is to focus on controlling what you can control. And I think everybody will nod their head and say they agree with that. So I had just heard the topic, good, better, best. I fly down to my team in Arizona. So I had all the minor league guys down there. I got 150 minor league players. And I go through this topic of good, better, best. But let me back up just a hair. Right at that time, we had just gone through the draft. And the top eight draft picks for the Texas Ranger were all high school players. So they come in. I get to meet them one-on-one. -on -one, I'm talking to them. And I'm like, hey, congratulations on, on reaching your goal, your dream, your professional athlete, blah, 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 blah. And I'm going through this spill. And then I say to them, I said, congratulations on being the best. Well, as soon as I say best, they put their head down. Each one of them at different times. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, congratulations on being the best. Their eyes go down. And so finally, I pulled them in a room and I asked him, I'm like, why do you drop your head when I tell you that you're the best? So I ask you, why, why do you think they drop their head when I tell them they're the best? At a core, at a core level, well, I think there might be a couple things. One, at a core level, they, they actually don't see themselves as that. I wonder, I'm just throwing stuff out. I'll throw this back to you. I wonder if because they don't see themselves as that, any sort of expectations they're wanting to like somehow like immediately like, no, 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 not me, not me, not me. Don't, don't put me. It's like expectations slash I don't believe. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. In fact, I finally, when I asked them, like, I don't, I brought them all back in a room. Like it hit me so hard. I brought it back in a room. Why do you put your head down when I say you're the best? And finally one kid goes, cause we're not. They're like, look in this clubhouse. Look who's gone before us. Look who's out there on, you know, double A, triple A, big league teams. We're not the best. And I'm like, we just gave you a seven and a half million dollar signing bonus. What do you mean you're not the best? We're like, we're not the best. And then I turn the question on them. I say, what is your biggest fear about being a professional athlete? Mm. And they look at me and they say, not being good enough. Yeah. That I'm not going to be good enough. And so you say, yeah, because you not only agree, but you also remember that feeling. Totally. Right. Totally. hundred percent. I was the same way. hundred percent. Yeah. And I went through that. I went through that when I got to Wichita state, I went through that when I signed a contract, I went through that when I got to the big leagues, am I good enough? Am I good enough? So then I go home and it's kind of bothered me a little bit. So I spent a lot of time thinking about this going back to what I teach lesson. Number one is control what you can't control. Travis, can you control if you're the best? Yes or no? No, no, you cannot control if you're the best. Why? Because it's completely based on other people. Like there's probably always somebody that's better than you. Our whole life, we, we push to be the best, and it's something we cannot control. Okay, can you control if you're good enough, yes or no? No. Tough question. I agree with you. You cannot because, again, that's based on other people. Like, I got turned down by the, the New York Mets to be their mental performance coach. The Tigers says that I wasn't the right guy for them as a mental performance coach. So I'm not good enough for them, but the Braves are like, yeah, you're our guy. Right. 
And, and so it's all based on who's asking the question. But here's the problem in, in performance and in life, everything. We are completely focusing on being the best and wondering if we're good enough. And those are things that we cannot control. And when you focus on things that you cannot control, you become out of control. And those things end up controlling you. Yep. So 90% of the players I work with every single day, guess what they think about every single day? How am I good enough to play this game? Yeah. They cannot control that. And so when I go back to that good, better, best model, if you cannot control if you're the best and you cannot control if you're good enough, there's only one other thing in there, which is. Can you get better? Better. better. And so I asked him, I said, hey, can you get better every single day? And I ask you that. Can you get better every single day? Yes or no? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. And so all of my training with these guys is like, I don't care where you're at. Like, I don't care what you're hitting. I don't care what level you're at. Our focus isn't on being the best. Our focus is on getting better every single day. And that's all you can ask of yourself. It's really good. So I, I, I'm going to, I need to hop into some of these questions <laughs> I have, but I want to, I want to kind of peel off of that a little bit. One of the things that I've talked with coaches about is I think it's really important for a leader to recognize the difference between what you influence and what you control. Because if you try to control the things that you really actually only have influence influence over, you're gonna you're gonna crush people. You're gonna crush yourself. It's not gonna be good. So like so we go through what do you control? Well, you control what time practice is gonna be. You control the actual practice schedule. You control playing time. Um, what don't you control? You don't control an athlete or, you know, cohort, you know, somebody that you're leading, you don't control their attitude. You don't control their effort. You don't control how they're going to show up, but you can influence it. And if you recognize that I can only influence this, there's an open handedness and you actually can influence. But if you try to control the things that you can only influence, you grip, you strain, you stress, they, you, you actually cause more harm than you would good. So I wonder if, and I'm just thinking through this really quick in, in mental performance, the, 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 the best, and uh, I forgot what the other one was like, do you belong or like, you good enough? Good enough. Yes. I wonder if that same thing applies. Like, do you control it? No. Can you influence it? Yeah, I think for sure I can influence, but at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, I do not control it. So I got to let it go. I can influence it. I can be better today, which might influence both of those. Anyways, just rambling. No, I think you're right on. It, let's, let's talk about a hitter. Like, can you control it to get a hit? Yes or no? no? No. Like you cannot control it to get a hit, but can you influence your getting a hit? Yeah. hundred percent. Well, how do you do that? Well, I got my pre-pitch routine. I step in the box. I have a plan. I take my deep breath. I get ready early so I can see the ball. I swing at good pitches. Yep. But, but you can't control it to get a hit. So take all that pressure off yourself of, of the things you cannot control, because if that's all you're focusing on, again, I say this a lot, but if, when you focus on things that you cannot control, you become out of control and those things control you. And I, I think we all can relate to that because we've all been there, man. We've all been in a scenario where those things that I can do nothing about are completely controlling me every single day. And that's when you talk about grip and tight yeah. and stiff and, and it happens to coaches. It happens to players. It happens to all of us. Yeah. Okay, I want to go here. You you mentioned your one of your goals is to give them actual strategies. This is not just a philosophy and theory that we're talking about. I want to give you strategies. Yeah. You have to wipe away all these strategies, but one, the one strategy that you can only use the rest of your time as a mental coach, which one are you hanging your hat on? 
Ooh, that's impressive. That, that that's a good one and a tough one because I I I like to throw tons of strategies out these guys. Um, I, I think that that I would probably go with the breath. Okay, walk you us know, through that. Explain that. Yeah. So so, you know, I I wasn't a big believer in the breath. You know, as as a player, and it wasn't that I wasn't a big believer. I didn't know about it. Okay, but. The, again, I always say the number one thing I talk about, I say that a lot, Travis, so hang with me as I say this. Totally. I get a lot of players, especially in pro ball, when they're struggling, they're thinking about their past performances. Okay. They're like, man, I struggled here in my ERA because of this and because of that. Last time I pitched this, that, and this and that. And, and so they're always thinking about the past. I got another set of guys who are doing well all of a sudden. And so they're like, hey, if I keep it up, I'm going to be an all-star. I keep it up. I'm going to get promoted to the next level. And so when they're doing well, they're thinking about the future. Now, I pause them right there and I say, okay, well, how are you doing well? Like, what are you doing? And they say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on, and, and this is something I've really been hitting my guys hard with this year. I'm focusing on staying curious on how well I can execute pitch by pitch, one pitch at a time. Okay, so the very best of the game mentally are the guys that play this game one pitch at a time. It's just about this pitch. And, and a lot of guys teach it's about the next pitch. And I like to change that. No, it's not about the next one. It's about this one. Okay. Yeah. So what I'm saying, and you already said this earlier, is our focus is on being present. Mm-hmm. It's being in the present moment. It's not about living in the past. It's not about worrying about the future. It's about the present moment. Because, again, that's the only thing we can control. I can't do anything about the past. I can't do anything about the future. I can only control this pitch or this present moment. All right. So how do you get to the present moment? And the number one way for you to get to the present moment is for you to take a breath. And so the breath does, I used to say two things. I've changed it to three things. It allows you to focus. It allows you to relax. And it is the gateway to the present moment. You want to get present, take a deep breath. And that reminds you that it's only about this moment. So it's interesting to me. I, I, I teach what I call the release and refocus routine. I use the analogy of signal lights. It's not my stuff. I get it from Dr. Ken Revisa, who was taught to me through Brian Kane. It's, on, you know, it's out there. It's this and that. And, and that, so basically what happens is when you get to yellow lights, you're starting to have a little, you're starting to be compromised a little bit, you know, emotionally. And, and so we teach them a strategy to physically do stuff to get them back to green light. Two steps, take a deep breath and, and a final tip is what we call it, thought, image, or feel. So, but the big piece of that is the deep breath. And what's so interesting to me is I teach these guys that they do this and they use this when they're starting to become distracted. They're starting to have some negative self-talk. The game's speeding up, a term we always use as coaches. The game's speeding up. We use the yellow light refocus to get you back on track. My players love the yellow light refocus so much that they do it on every single pitch. Okay, so if, you, if you're watching some of my guys that I get a chance to work with that are on TV with the Atlanta Braves, you'll see them take a breath every single pitch, like a good breath. And, and, and so much so I got a call from one of the trainers up there in the big leagues a year and a half ago. They're like, man, you got to keep an eye on him. He, he looks like he's hyperventilating out there. And I'm like, no, he's not hyperventilating. He was just holding his breath before the whole outing. You know, he's breathing. And what that's doing is that's getting him to the present moment. So I think that's one. And it's hard for me to do that because there's so many strategies that I think are important. But if that's the one thing I would get these guys doing, I, I, if I can get them to breathe, which gets them to the present moment, they're going to be better.